Thank you, Mark. Thank you, uh, Brian. Thank you, team. You know, I thought this might be a good Sunday to tie uh, some of our children and our young people into well, the lessons we've been learning. And last week, I went into the kids' program, and they had built a replica, a box kind of replica of the Ark of the Covenant. And so I'd like them to kind of make a little kids' parade. Would you guys do that for us right now? Dottie, bring the kids down with the... Uh, with the uh, ark being carried by the priests. Grab on there, grab on there. And I think we've even got some makeshift kazoo trumpets. Uh, make some noise, kids. <laughs> come on down, come all the way down. Keep coming. <laughs> Keep coming. Go right over there and come down this way. Holly, if you want to join him, you can. And, and if you guys want to join him, you can, you can join him if you want. Just keep walking. <laughs> come on through here. <laughs> All right. Give these kids a hand, would you? All right. Do you want to be done? <laughs> Let's give Dottie an extra hand because she's so awesome. I had in mind we were going to play a song during that time, but we really didn't need a song, so skip the song, Brent. <laughs> it was uh, Jericho Walls Fall Down kind of thing, so yeah. You know, kids, uh, they see it at their own level, but they begin to implant those things. And what we're talking about today is often one of the most known Old Testament stories in the Bible. Now, what's interesting is a lot of people have never read it. They've just been told it before. Or, or even maybe some of you know the song. Josh, at the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Josh, at the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Yeah, see, we know it, right? Now, I'm here today. Now, there's parts of that song that are really, really good. I'm here today to say, in a way, in a way that happened. But what I want to focus on today is not that Joshua fought or fit the battle of Jericho, but that the battle belongs to the Lord. Yeah, Joshua was engaged. Joshua was involved. We're going to see that very intricately today, but he didn't fight the battle. He stood back and watched God fight the battle, and that's the most amazing thing. So I'm not trying to criticize the song. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't give up on the song, but uh, you got to go a little bit further as you think about it, because it was actually Joshua's faith it was the people's trust in God. And it wasn't that faith in itself is anything. It's faith in God that is everything. You can have amazing faith in ridiculous things, and it means nothing. But when you have faith in an amazing God, it means everything. You catch that? It's not faith in faith. You don't trust your faith. You trust God with your faith. And that's a story that, that's the, what this story brings out. 
for all of us. You know, before we looked at chapter 5, we ended with chapter 5 last week where uh, Joshua looks up right in front of Jericho and he sees this armored soldier, this mighty man of God, this mighty individual who he ends up perceiving as the Lord himself. And he says, are you for us or against us? Do you remember the answer? Neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and I'm not on either side. I'm here to win the battle. I'm here to take charge. I love that uh, Tony Evans phrase. It says, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. Yeah. And And Joshua begins to get instructions from the Lord on how this battle is going to take place, on what is going to happen. So let's talk about, the, it's listed in Hebrews 11, chapter 30, as this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. It wasn't by Joshua. It was by faith. It wasn't by the people. It wasn't by the sounds, the, the trumpet sounds. It was by faith, after the people had marched around for seven days. So we're going to expand that and look at that and uh, see how this works as... Uh, Faith flattens walls. First of all, notice that uh, chapter 6, verse 1, starts out this way. And and I want to just talk about the odds for a minute. The faith in spite of long odds. If you're jotting down notes in your handout, there should be a blank there that's kind of long odds. (laughs) They were were, uh, not, it it was not natural to think that they would win. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have, notice the tense there, I have, notice the delivered portion, not I will deliver, into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. This, uh, captain of the Lord's army gave these kinds of, uh, this kind of spot for instructions on how the battle was going to take place. Let's notice a couple things about this uh, city. God had already told Abraham that it was going to be patient with this group of people, that he was going to be patient with them, and he was calling them, calling them, calling them to himself. But the people that were going to be taken over, the people that were going to be conquered had every chance, every option, every opportunity, and they just getting, kept getting more evil and more debauched, more evil and more um, away, far away from God. They kept rejecting and rejecting and rejecting God. So God said when, you're, when their iniquities had filled up, it came a time. There's, there's going to be a judgment. This is a side of God we don't always like to think about or look at, especially in New Testament times where we're so focused on grace and love and mercy. But there is a judgment side to the Heavenly Father. He is so holy, He is so righteous, He is so pure that He has to deal with sin and it cannot co-abide with Him. So let's first of all think about this city. It was a city of uh, pagan unbelief. I don't know if you can see that, but it says pagan unbelief. Okay, this was a, a, a place of immorality like we have never 
seen. It was what we would call extremely evil. One passage says um, that, that everyone was perverted. And you think about, well, this is a child molester or a, a pervert, but it wasn't just a couple. It was the entire nation. It also says they were mass murderers. When you think about a nation of mass murderers, <laughs> it says they literally sacrificed their newborn and our children to Molech, the god of fire. I mean, we, we have some incredible examples. I don't even want like to bring them up, but it just points out how far gone they were and how evil they were. And we're not going to talk a ton today about the judgment, but it, it, it is so pagan. God gave them hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, God gave them 440 years to repent. And we know that a few did. Like in Rahab's case, she, she turned to the Lord. And at any point, anyone in their nation could have turned to the Lord like Rahab. But only Rahab and her family did. And that's the sad but true part of it. It was a pagan and unbelieving city of extreme evil. It was a strategic importance. It was called a, a garrison uh, a city. And there was this, this sense that it was the guard and the sentinel to the whole area. So this was very strategic as Joshua and the people went across the river. It was the first thing they came to, the first intermediate. In fact, it was a, a, a dividing of the area, north and south and east and west. It was like in the point. It was kind of the idea of divide and conquer. <laughs> if you take Jericho, you begin to take the entire region, what, which was God's plan for them in the long run. It was, um, it was to divide the area and then, and then move forward. Now, um, it was also difficult, challenging to overtake. I call it a human impossibility. They had so built this city that it was impregnable. It was impossible to get through. It wasn't something that could just be done. For instance, they had two sets of walls. One set of walls, and they found this through archaeological discoveries. It's still there in the archaeological artifacts. Um, there was a, a rock wall, huge boulder kind of rock wall, entirely around the city. We think of uh, building a wall on our southern border as a, as a tough thing. They built a rock wall and around their entire place, around their entire city-state. Okay? But then there was a second wall. And the second wall was kind of on top of that, behind that, and it was more of mud and of clay and adobe, we would kind of think of, and it was a softer material. And what they found in, uh, it's kind of interesting, goes along with the biblical text, what they found in the artifacts is the rock wall to some degree stayed intact, but the other wall washed over it as it fell and gave the Israelites a chance, the Bible says, to walk straight in. It's kind of the, the uh, artifacts are still there to kind of show that. But from a human side, these rocks, this clay mud, it would have been dozens if not 80 feet tall in some places. The rock wall itself was probably 30 feet, 
seems to be about 30 feet tall, and then what was built on that. Now, we know it was, was deep because people had their houses between the walls. Rahab herself, the Bible says, her house was built between the two walls. Very safe and very strategic because that's where she let the spies out down the rope, the scarlet rope, to freedom. You know? So this place, in fact, one, one report showed that they could ride chariots around the top, one of the top uh, areas of the wall. It was that strategically built, that, that uh, heftily built, these two walls. And uh, inside, they had all their needs met. They had springs and wells. They had food sources so they could stay for a year confined with nobody coming and going and no one could, they were okay. They had their uh, emergency kits, <laughs> so to speak. And so they could shut the town up, shut the place up and survive. And if you were coming at them, now think about Israel for a minute. They had no battering rams to bust down the gates. You know, they had no catapults, you know, like you see ancient warfare to catapult into the city. They had none of those scaffoldings to lay against the side of the walls, at least that we know about. They had no flaming arrows <laughs> to shoot inside. I mean, they were at a definite deficit. So from a human standpoint, especially with the children of Israel, you would say it was an impossibility. But in a very real way, Note this, the battle was over before it began. Before the battle even gets started, how does God say it? I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now I want you to catch the definiteness of that because that's the thing that springs faith in the people of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And whenever we're declared, whenever God declares our possession, what we have, we take it by faith. We don't even see it yet, but we trust in Him. We put our faith and our trust in Him. Now, you might ask yourself, why would God choose such a place to start the warfare in the promised land? Why would He choose one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult ever? Well, maybe He wants to Show them, are you the kind of person who likes to do the hard things first <laughs> and then mop up with the easy things? <laughs> Maybe God's that way. God's saying, I want to I start with this strategic place. Grow your faith because all of what happens after this is going to be dependent on your response at this moment and in this place. God is not asking them to conquer. You know what he's asking them to do? Trust. Trust. Now, they will conquer. Conquer is a byproduct of trusting a loving and faithful and powerful God. God is going to show them His part of the teamwork. You know, some of these kids walking around here today were uh, my grandsons and grandkids. It's been fun to watch through the years them get into soccer. You know, when they're like four years old and they play soccer, you know, <laughs> it's basically a cluster of kids kicking the ball at each other, you know. But over the course of time, Ethan's now nine, ten years old. He's old enough that they begin to trust each other. They begin to learn teamwork and know who to pass to. And in a way, that's what God's doing here. These guys are not used to teaming with God. 
<laughs> They've got a partner on the team that's incredible, and they're now learning to, okay, we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to put our faith in Him. He's going to win the game. <laughs> the game is ours. So learn to trust um, that because the rest of the city is doomed. It's literally doomed. Uh, this is a rendition of uh, this event, and we'll read a, a little bit further here. This is a Joshua in the uh, city, 1406 B.C. Here's the Ark of the Covenant pictured. Kind of fun to see the visualization someone would have. And we don't know exactly how that all took place, but there some, some, some images that keep coming to our minds. Let's think about the, sec, the second part of this. And it's not just faith in long odds. It's faith in, regardless of the strategy. Okay? When God, through the Lord's army leader, the commander of the Lord's army, tells Joshua what the plan is, what the strategy is, you would think at that point he'd say, ah, 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 time out. That doesn't make any sense. But instead, he repeats it. He gets that whole team on track. The Lord sets the details. The Lord sets the strategy. Remember what the Scripture says. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. You know? The Bible's one that says, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your... As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways beyond your ways. You think, oh my goodness. How literal is that in this situation? If you were to see this strategy, let's just read it real quick. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets and ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you, hear them, uh, when you hear them, sound a long blast of the trumpets. Have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. We don't trust in... Egypt's chariots and horsemen. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. The strategy may sound ridiculous. Don't you think if you had this plan handed to you, you'd say, that's the worst plan I've ever heard of. What? We're just going to march around the city for six days and on the seventh day we're going to play instruments and shout? Come on. There's got to be something better than that. Let's uh, read. This is a little bit more fulfillment of how... Then Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven uh, priests. He said to them, take up... Had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the, the, the seven trumpets um, before the Lord. He went before them, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guards marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time... The trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout! So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, and then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. I'm thinking about... Uh, 
the difficulty of this strategy. Um, Bill, since I've got uh, interest in your uh, playing ability, could you come here for a second? This is probably a, um, a quarter of the size of a regular shofar. They, they had bigger animals, <laughs> but I happen to have this one handy, okay? And so this doesn't sound good when I blow it, but would you? He's a former trumpet blower. So I'm just thinking of 10 times this sound would probably be coming from. Yeah. Think of, you know, 10 times that kind of sound. There you go. Yeah, give Bill a hand. You know, how often do you get an authentic horn blower in your midst? Yeah. So some of the things that uh, were, were obvious here, march around this town for, for six days, march with the Ark of the Covenant, put seven priests in front of the Ark. I'm just kind of summarizing here. On the seventh day, march seven times, a, a key symbolic number in the Scriptures. Have the priests priest blow the ram's horn as they marched. Be silent, then on the seventh time, have the people shout. And when the people shout, the walls will come down and you can conquer it. Now, I'm just thinking of the first day for a minute. I'm thinking of the people in their towers around the wall, and out come thousands and thousands of people, mighty warrior men, but they're coming, and they've heard the reputation of the army of the Lord. You've heard the reputation of the people of God. You know that God is with these people, and it's causing you some fear, some fright. So they line up, and they begin to march around the city. And you're waiting, and maybe you're trembling. Maybe your heart's beating fast, and they keep going. And maybe it's taken, they're estimating, two and a half hours for the whole army to go around the entire. And they come back to where they were, and you go, well, now what? And they go, they're leaving. They're going home. What in the world? Why, why are they going home? And they, and they trot away. Now the second day, you're ready. Okay, all right, we're ready. Same thing. And they go home. What? Third day, by now you're kind of going, these guys must be wimps or something. They're not gonna, they do have no battering rams. They do have no, you know, equipment. These wimps are just going to walk around us. I bet they started to mock. You know, <laughs> you think you can overcome us with just a march? Yeah, good luck with that. You know, third day, fourth day, fifth day. And, and you know what I'm thinking about here? It is in many ways, we're in that third, fourth, fifth day as a, as a church family as the body of Christ 2020, okay? We have the promised land. We know what God is going to get. We know the reward that is ahead, and yet we're in the now, but not yet. Okay, we have a possession, but we're still in the process of grasping and obeying and, and, and possessing that possession, Okay? How many times do you hear or think about or know about mocking? No, God has set, 
Because his ways are higher than our ways, he set the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. The Bible calls that foolishness to the world. Oh my gosh, you believe in some Savior and hung on some cross, died for your sins? How foolish are you? We're right at that mocking point. You know, he says to you and he says to me, preach Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's a challenge. Mocking will follow. They'll sense you're marching around without seeing the, the virility, the power, the might of God. The church will have a hostile world to reckon with, but just keep trusting. Just keep trusting. The turning of, uh, of heads will turn to the turning of hearts. God will have his way and his victory. Don't give up. So when it comes to Jesus Christ dying on the cross, do you put your faith in that? Don't trust yourself, your own good works, being good enough, like Brian was talking about this morning. One and one thing only, put your trust in Christ. The fact that he was buried in a tomb and on the third day rose. Put your faith in that, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that shows his power and his might and takes over when we have, when we have needs. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about, about this. Notice, in normal situations, the Ark of the Covenant was not, told, was not supposed to go out in warfare. It was to stay in the camp. In fact, we have an example in 1 Samuel where the Ark of the Covenant actually got captured because they weren't supposed to take it out, and they did. So for some reason, God altered his normal plan to bring victory in this situation. Normally, the priests were not carrying the ark. The Levites were. Normally, the priests weren't the ones, but for some reason, to show the people a a, a plan, the priests were carrying. Normally, the priests weren't even out there. The priests were not to go to the battlefront. But God was showing an amazing way. I think he was showing praise and worship as the leaders of the entire army. Okay? Um, Normally it was not the uh, ram's horns in battle. These These were used for other reasons, mostly worship. The shofar, they call it. But um, there was a, what we would think of more as a trumpet made out of tin, made out of metal. That was the normal war call, war cry, battle trumpet. For some reason, God said, no, I want it to be the ram's horns. It's interesting. Notice the number of days here. Now, remember something in the scriptures about the Sabbath day? You've obviously got a Sabbath involved if you've got six plus one, right? What's the seventh day? God said, make it holy. Don't do any work on that day. But what's he command here? You know what I'm thinking about, right? I'm thinking about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. You know, telling, the, telling the folks, if an oxen falls in the ground, of course you're going to get it out. Is it any worse for me to heal a lame man on the Sabbath or cure a blind man on the Sabbath? <laughs> he said, even to declare the forgiveness of sins. 
So for, I want you to just kind of sense, even though some of these things are against God's normal routine, God commanded them and they obeyed them. When God gives a direct command, you always go with what God's revealed will is. But when God gives a direct command other than that, follow that. Follow that. Get the uh, marching orders from the, the king because his wisdom is higher than our wisdom. His foolishness confounds the enemy and will make it. I'm thinking about a couple of biblical illustrations of that. Do you remember Gideon? Remember he had 32,000 mighty men, soldiers ready to go, and he didn't know if he could even do it with 32,000 men. And what God say? Um, pare it down. Too many. Pare it down. What? Lord. Pare it down. Pare it down again. Pare it down again. And he gave him various reasons. Down to 300 men. From 32,000 to 300 men. And I don't think I could have taken it with 32,000. You want me to take it with 300? Yep. And what happened? Victory was Gideon's. Right? It really wasn't Gideon's. It was the Lord's. The battle belongs to the Lord. Remember Elijah on the, on the mountain? He's taken on the prophets of Baal, you know? And they couldn't, start, they couldn't bring fire down on their sacrifice, praying to their God, Baal. So it's his turn, Elijah's turn. Elijah's turn. And so, of course, makes sense, right? Let's go get some barrels of water and pour on the sacrifice and on the wood. No, go get some more. No, go get some more. No, until it's so soaking wet that the whole uh, base of it is, 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 is moist and, and wet. Soaking wet. Now that makes sense, right? And then he prays. And then God works. And soon, hundreds of prophets of Baal are done away with. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. In spite of a difficult strategy, in spite of what you would think. The teenagers watched uh, The Chosen, and the story, uh, last week's episode was about the miraculous catch of fish. And I'm just thinking about Peter in the middle of the boat going, you want me to go fishing again? I've been fishing all night and I didn't catch anything. I ain't going again. He's arguing with the Lord, Jesus. Oh, I'm tired. There's nothing out there. And Jesus says, just, just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. My strategy will win. They said, okay, because you said so. You remember that? Okay, because you're the one saying it, I'm going to humor you. And do it. You know, if, if, if you have to obey God because you're humoring him, do it. Okay, because look what happens. He, he puts out a teeny bit from shore, and pretty soon the nets are so engrossed, so filled with fish that he has to call his buddies over, and they swamp two boats full of fish, and some get away. I mean, we're talking about a year's worth of wages in one catch. We're talking about, in our equivalent, uh, $50,000 worth of fish. And he was worried about paying his taxes. <laughs> yeah. What does God do? He strategically goes against the norms and he blesses in spite. Blesses in spite of that. The empty nets became filled and God used that. So, so just note, 
to self. Don't let the strategy, don't let the situation be discouraging to you. Just trust God. When he says preach Christ, preach Christ and him crucified. Don't worry about what the world says about that. Just worry about what God is about and doing. Let's talk about God's power real quick because we see the ultimate result. I mentioned this, uh, this earlier. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark, the seven priests carrying it. This is the fulfillment. Marching before the Lord, the armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed up. So on the second day, they marched around and did the same thing for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The, seven times, the seventh time around, the priests sounded the trumpet blast. Joshua commanded the army, shout! Exclamation mark. For the Lord has given you this city. And again, notice the tense there. Has given, not will give. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared because she hid the spies that she sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are uh, sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasure. Verse 20, when the trumpet sounded and the army shouted and the sound of the trumpets, when the men gave a shout, a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Now I was thinking about beast mode for a minute. Remember a beast quake? This is Marshawn Lynch a couple years back. Tom, you forgot all about it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, Tom forgot about it. But, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, musing is there that at the University of Washington seismography lab, that because of the shouting of the group and the stomping of the feet, that there was a minor, minor, minor earthquake because 50,000 fans went nuts over the beast quake. Do you remember that? Yeah. Now think of 10 times that amount. <laughs> I mean, some people uh, uh, try to surmise and go, what, what was going on here? Maybe it was an earthquake. You know? Probably, though, regardless of how many people, regardless of the uh, reverberations, God did the work. God did the work. And even if it was an earthquake, think of the timing of that thing. Just as they got done with their seventh march that day, you know, probably was a morning till night kind of deal that day. And what do you think you, uh, Jericho residents were thinking at this point? Something else is up. Rats? <laughs> Doggone it. God had already delivered the city. God had, I mean, that's why the phraseology is the way it is in this text. I have given you the city. It is yours. I have already delivered it into your hands. Just take possession. You don't have to do much. Just grasp what I have done for you and with you. And because you know what I think about? Timing is everything. 
Trust God and wait for his timing. He will bring it to about. That's where we are in that now and not yet side of things. Oops. Brent, can you bring it back up for me? Thank you. Um, God writes himself into the middle of the battle plan. I mean, with the Ark of the Covenant, with the priests, with the worship, with the, the uh, shofar. He's got himself and worship right in the heart of the battle. He's not saying, go fight and I'll wait here. He's following with them. Remember what was in the Ark? Three things were notable in the Ark. The Ten Commandments, God's plan. The rod that budded, God's power, showed power over death, life everlasting, and a jar of manna. Those were the three main articles in the Ark of the Covenant. God's plan, God's power, and God's provision were all evident to them. And in, in a big way, just like we had a march through here, it represented His presence with them. It was the visualization, just like we showed a visualization a minute ago, of God's presence with the people of God. He wrote himself into the middle of this strategy and this, and this battle. Last one here. He um, asked for and invited into participation. Instead of just wiping them out while Isra the Israelites stayed in their camp, he engaged them. He involved them. He got them to participate and to show their faith. I mean, that's the key thing right here, is faith is often seen by how we behave, by what we do. Okay? The faith is the important thing, and faith in God is the most important thing, but how you respond in faith is of vital interest to God. He's trying to spark our participation. Let's break this down slightly. Um, diligent participation. He wants them to be uh, in, engaged. Bring the ark. Bring the priests. And I noticed they didn't take any shortcuts. Later they take some shortcuts and they, it, it hurts them. They pay the price. The next city. They don't conquer with God's blessing. Instead, they are conquered. They are, they're, they're defeated the armed guards, and the rest of the people. I'm thinking about the discipline for a minute. What's the discipline? Well, marching, going back home, marching. I mean, that's a discipline, just the daily routine. You ever get into a daily routine, and by the sixth day, you're kind of tired of it? Do you think they, you don't know yet, <laughs> haven't got that far. Do you think they were maybe a little tired of it? Huh? The silence part probably took the most discipline of all. You know, and sometimes in our culture, we call it solitude. Solitude in our culture is really, really hard. You know? I had a fellow come one time, and he was uh, talking about needing solitude. And he wanted a place to worship where nobody would say anything to him, where nobody would talk to him, where all he could just come in, pray, and leave. I said, so I started listing the places that that could happen. We can, we can accommodate that easy, okay? But if you notice down the line a little bit, audacious exultation. What do we have there? We got a shout and a loud, I mean, it just keeps emphasizing the loudness of the voice. 
So they're patient and they're quiet, but then they're loud and deliberate. Do you know I think God calls on us sometimes to be loud and deliberate? In fact, I wish we were louder and more deliberate. You know? I think we can use our voices to praise the Father. Clap your hands, all you people, and shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. You know? There's nothing wrong with, with that. Now, now, this fellow who wanted to solemnly... You do that most often by yourself. We don't come together to sit in silence with each other. We come together to do what they did and celebrate. We need cele- celebratory, celebration mode, victorious, loud sounds. It's okay to be loud. Some of you are looking at me going, you're just saying that because you're so loud, you know? No, it's okay for everybody to be loud. Uh, uh, the joy I had of uh, preaching at a time or two at a church in Tacoma, uh, African-American background church, where they sing to you, they shout to you, they say, preach it, brother, say it again. And I'm like, whoa, this is great. And I come back to our church, and we're all sitting on our hands and keeping our mouths shut, you know. And, and I understand that. We come from a different background. But we can be loud. It's okay. I think we need far more celebration, especially when we come together. Especially when we come together. Come together and give it all you got. Be loud and proud. Give a great shout. The Bible says, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. And just like they had the voice of triumph, it wasn't their voices that caused the victory, but it was their voices that responded to God's declaration of their victory. Are you catching that? That's the way our faith is. You don't wait for God and then say, well, then I'll tell him praise God when it happens. You praise him in the midst of it. You praise him as you wait for it. You praise him because he's promised it. You put your faith and trust in who he is and what he's done. And I just want to say, the volume matters. (laughs) The volume matters. So you can get loud. You can be energetic. Be complete in your obedience and be intentional. We're going to talk about compassion here to end with. Remember, James says it this way. He says, you can show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. So the key connection is here. They, they believed and they obeyed. They believed, they trusted, and they followed through. And that's kind of the way God lined up or ordered, I say, the universe that He responds to our faith when we actually put it to work, when we put our faith into action. When the priests stepped in to the Jordan River, then it dried up. There's an action. It's it's that timing is perfect. As they walk around the city, as they obey the Lord, they're trusting in Him, and God comes through. Trust Him. He always comes through because faith without works is dead being by itself. Last thing, I mentioned compassion, intentional compassion, and that's really where faith extends grace. I mentioned when we started, here's this prostitute, this Rahab the harlot, who gets a heavy dose of God's grace. When her whole culture is going down, when her whole culture is being defeated and destroyed, God lets her faith Uh, be celebrated. Go get the woman. 
Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with the oath we made to her. So the young men who had done the spying in and brought out, went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and her sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid Josh, the men of Joshua had sent to spy out Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Could it be that the very reason they went to Joshua, I mean to Jericho first, was because of Rahab? Remember I was asking you, I wonder why God would choose the most impossible city to start with? Maybe he was wanting his reputation to go far and wide, but I'm, I'm thinking we're hearing it in the text. The text is really pointing to Rahab. Remember when Jesus, the Bible says, had to go through Samaria? And you go, he had to go through Samaria. All the Jews would go around Samaria. They didn't go through Samaria. But no, no, Jesus, ha- he says to the disciples, I-, I need to go through Samaria. And they're, okay, they're kind of reluctantly capitulating to his desire. Okay, we'll go through. And as they get there, he gets to sit down with the Samaritan woman at the well. We call it the woman at the well. And he begins to unfold to her eternal life, forgiveness of her sins, all that he could bring to her. And she receives by faith a relationship with God. She ends up going into to Sychar, the town, and bringing the entire town out to hear the grace of God and Jesus about Jesus. And it's like, okay, we now know why he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria because that's where the Samaritan woman was at the well. Yeah? Why did the Israelites have to take over Jericho? At least in part, was to show grace to this woman, was to show grace to her family was to bring her out. I mean, can you imagine the entire walls all falling down and then one tower, one set of the wall is still standing? There's a scarlet cord wrapped around and out her window. Oh my goodness, that's where Rahab lives. That's where Rahab's house is. And they go and they get her and they bring her out because of her faith, and because of their faith, they trusted and grace was extended. See, grace is that thing that is free. It's free. It's free. But it changes us. It makes us different. We can't help when we receive the grace and gifts of God. It can't help but change us. We change in so many ways. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not because of works. Catch that? You are not saved because of your works. They weren't saved because of their works. The battle belongs to the Lord, and your salvation is a gracious gift from Him. But when you receive it, you cannot help through faith, behaving differently, expressing a life that Jesus says, follow me, follow me. Me. Now that seems like a strange strategy. That's it? Just follow you? Believe it. 
as weird as that strategy sounds, it changes lives. It changes the church. It changes the world. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The battle, the war, the conquest, the victory belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us lessons like today. Thank you for showing us the, the, the part that faith plays. Thank you for your victory, your leadership, your love, and most of all, your grace. May we be those who not only receive your grace, but extend your grace to every person and being on the planet. Thank you for loving us, Lord. You're so awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. 